0: Morning. My name is Adam. I'm a discipleship pastor here, and we are in uh, week two of a sermon series called "Touchy Subjects," and I get to talk about uh, single life, dating, relationships, all of that sort of pre-marriage um, stage. And we're we're talking about that because that can become a, a touchy subject for people because. We have these preconceived or almost prescriptive sort of timelines for people when it comes to dating, engagement, marriage, having kids, et cetera, et cetera. And if you're not fitting into that line, then this can be a a subject that you don't want to talk about because it's the, well, why aren't you? Dating anybody. Why aren't you engaged yet? You've been engaged for a little too long now, don't you think? That was a pretty quick engagement, don't you think? And so we want to talk about today getting back to um, the basics of, of relationships and what it means to pursue a godly life that could end in marriage, that could end in having all of that. But starting at the beginning, and one of the realizations that I had coming into this is I am not an expert in dating it shouldn't be hard for you to believe you know but i i have been married for going on nine years now uh the beginning of my relationship with emily was awkward to say the least i, I remember uh the day that she walked on the aisle july seventeenth, two 2010 she comes into the chapel I see her, had to restrain myself from running down to go get her from her father and saying, like, we're good, you know, we'll just do this right here and get out of here. Um, But in that moment, I I do like a memory thing where I flash back. I, I flash back to the very first time that I saw her. And the very first time that I saw her, I was just as captivated by her as I was on our wedding day. It was in eighth grade algebra class. Um, So I was in advanced uh, math, that's not bragging, didn't mean for it to sound like that, but I was in advanced math class. School was great for me, like I loved school. And so I was in class early and I sat in the back of the class because to me the, the social minutes between classes, you get like five minutes to change classes. To me, it's like, that's four minutes too long. I'm going to get my book, and I'm going to go to class. You know what I mean? Like, why do we need to talk? We're at school. Let's take care of business. Um, And so I was in the back of the class preparing studiously, and I was a pretty shy, insecure kid, so very back of the class. And um, one of the things that I would do the first day of class is I would watch people come in and be like, are they going to sit next to me? Are they going to sit next to me? You know, that sort of thing. And the class started filling up, and I was like, oh. Nobody's sitting directly in front of me, which immediately makes me think, like, did I, something, everything okay in here, you know? And then all of a sudden, in walks Emily, and, you know, trumpet sound, there was, her wind was the hair was blowing and the wind. It was just this beautiful sight. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, it was the, and uh, she walks in. And I start getting really nervous because she walks directly toward the seat in front of me. And I'm like, I'm going to have to talk to this beautiful creature, you know. <laughs> like, and uh, I got so nervous because I was very shy and introverted as a, as a kid. I got so nervous that I uh, felt my pulse in my ears you know you ever have that and uh so i was thinking like okay work on your line it's got to be smooth you, you like this girl like puberty is a confusing situation for people but i knew one thing i liked her and so i was like i got to have a line got to say something cool got to you know and she sits down and and i thought that i said something like hey how are you doing <laughs> again i'm no dating expert so i don't know if that's good or not but <laughs> But I think what actually happened was I said, hey, she said hi. If you've met her, she's very smiley, very outgoing, very much like, hi, how are you? And I probably said, hi. (laughs) Uh, I I found out later that I was so unimpressive that day that she doesn't remember our first meeting. (laughs) It works out for me in the end, though. Don't worry, guys. Uh, but she didn't remember that she sat right in front of me in algebra class, and I really, really, really remember that she sat right in front of me in algebra class. Um, But we, you know, fast forward to our marriage day, and she's walking down the aisle getting ready to be my wife, and so we lived happily ever after. And we like to do that sometimes with love stories, right? When we tell love stories, we skip over all the in-between all the hurt, all the, the mistakes, and we just synthesize it into this thing that boy meets girl, fall in love, get married, have kids, have grandkids, leave a legacy, boom. And that's just not the case. And so what I wanted to do today is, is share a little bit of my testimony when it comes to dating and relationships. Because as I was holding my, my daughter this morning, she's nine months old, she was nine months old on Valentine's Day, and as I was holding her, I thought to myself, what would I want Emery to know about dating, and about pursuing a relationship, and about all that, because the thought of some boy who's currently pooping his pants one day telling my daughter that she's beautiful and he loves her, I'm assuming they're going to be the same age, so he's still an infant, you know, it's like, whatever, Um, but it's like, what do I want her, what do I want her to know? What do I want to tell her? And what I want to tell her, and what I want to tell all of us today as a reminder is, pursue Jesus first. And everything else walks underneath that. And so what I want to do with my testimony is, is tell you parts of my story and tell you some realizations that I had along the way. And it doesn't matter if you are single, if you're Currently dating somebody, if you're engaged, if you're married, if you've been married for so long that you don't even know what tender is, good for you if you don't know what tender is, if you have grandkids, all of these things are just good reminders. Because Emily and I get to do marriage counseling for people now. We've got to do it with a couple really dear friends of ours that we had in student ministry. And one of the best parts of that for me is us getting to walk through and remember what's important, what's really important when it comes to relationships, because we are designed for relationships. And so as we start out here, will you pray with me as we, as we get ready to begin? God, we are thankful for your word. And we pray that each of us would walk out of here today encouraged and knowing that our next best step is the step towards you and a step towards the plan that you have for our lives. So, God, we pray that your gospel would stand today above anything else and we would walk out of here transformed by the power of your grace and your love and your plan for us. We love you. Senior your sons and we pray. Amen. And so the very first thing that I want all of us to remember and that I want you to know is that you are valuable because God said so. You are valuable because God said so. In the very beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he has this incredible display of power. And he speaks, and stars come into existence. The earth is formed. Everything is put in, in place on the earth, and animals are put in, in the sky, and the earth, and the water, and everything. And then on the very last day of creation, he creates man. And it says this in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And so God said, out of all the things I've done, let me make this one thing in my image. And Genesis one twenty-seven goes on to say, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I hope that the weight of that rests on you, today. And I don't care if it's the first time you've ever heard that or the 1,000th time you've heard that. You are created in the image of the almighty God of the universe, the creator of heaven and earth, the king of all things. You bear his likeness and that's what gives you value. That is the thing that makes you able to stand up and say, I am somebody. I'm somebody because God said so, and I don't need somebody else telling me that I'm valuable, even though that's nice sometimes. Your primary and foundational worth comes from the fact that God said, let me make male and female in my image, and they're going to bear my name. That's what brings you value. And so often in our world today, we get our value from the person standing next to us or the relationship we're in or the job that we have or anything else. At Mark Twain Elementary School, I am Emily's husband. That's who, that's who I am there. Here, for a lot of people, Emily is my wife. But you know what I am first When I walk into Mark Twain Elementary School, I am a child of God, and that gives me value. You know what Emily is first when she walks into this place? She is a child of God that has a purpose and a plan and a future within his kingdom. That's what gives us value. We don't need somebody else. We don't need to be somebody's somebody to have value. We are just valuable. And that's the thing that I would look at my daughter in the eyes and say, you are special. And you don't need some little boy to tell you that. Some little boy might tell you that someday, but you don't need that to be complete. You don't need somebody else to complete or fix or fill or step into the gap for what you you have value. And the reason that I'm hitting on this point for so long is because I didn't believe this for a long time in my life. Coming out of middle school, where I was the shy, insecure kid, I was sitting in that elementary in that middle school class, with oversized glasses before that was a cool or trendy thing that were broken from me riding my bike into a tree. I'm sure you've heard that story. If you haven't, you can stop me afterwards, I'll tell you. I told you the end of the story. I rode my bike into a tree, my glasses broke. And so I had a lot of insecurity that I had to work through. I had a lot of like, man, if I could just ha- if I could get the girl, then I'd be somebody. And I, you know, I grew up and I grew into my weight a little bit, and so I wasn't chubby anymore in high school, and so girls started to like me, and I liked girls, and so I would want to date the prettiest girl. I want to go after the girl, and that was the thing that became an identity piece for me. I, I wanted to say, "This is my, this is my girlfriend. Look how cool I am now." And that is just a tireless an empty thing to find purpose in. You are valuable because God said so. Period. Full stop. There's this right person myth that Andy Stanley talks about in his book, uh, The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. And the right person myth is this, that there's a right person out there. And once you find that right person, everything will be all right. Andy Stanley explains it this way. The myth isn't that there's a right person for you out there somewhere. There may very well be. The myth is that once you find that right person, everything will be all right. I believe that I've found my right person. I 100% believe that I have found the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with in Emily. And I wish that I could stand up here and tell you that because we have a God-honoring marriage and um, we come to church every week and we worship together and we study Scripture and all those things that we never, ever fight. But I can't remember which way to put the toilet paper on the roll, and so sometimes that creates some strife in our house. Up or down, I don't know. I just get it off there, you know. (laughs) I'm not thinking. Anyways, everything isn't all right because we're together. We're headed in a direction. And so we can work everything out as we're going. But she doesn't complete me. I love her. She's the most important person in my life, but she's not the most important thing in my life. Jesus is the most important thing in my life. And Jesus is the most important thing in her life. And as we're going and as we're pursuing, we can work things out. And I keep telling her that she has to, to die before me because I don't know what I'll do without her. But I say that in jest because there's a reality, there's a painful reality that sometimes your right person goes before you and you have to carry on without them with just their memories. And if they were the most important thing in your life, your life is over. But if I die first, there's kingdom work for her to carry on in. There is Jesus' business for her to carry on with, and there's work to be done, and there's ministry to be done, and there's people for her to care for who are in a similar situation. If she dies before me, I have to carry on. I have to. Single does not mean incomplete. Single just means you carry on and you keep going forward because we are designed to pursue Jesus. And there might be somebody that walks with you in that. The next thing that I would tell my kids, Cohen and, and Emery, is ask, ask why. Because why will shape how. Why is it that you want to date someone? Why is it that you want to be married someday? Why is it that you want to have a relationship? Why is that? Because the answer to that question shapes how you pursue getting that person. And how you pursue getting that person could lead you to a healthy relationship or a very unhealthy relationship. And I have experienced both. When I was dating just to get the girl, any girl that I saw that I thought was worthy of admiration from my friends was suitable. And so I ended up in bad relationships. And I made mistakes. And I hurt people's feelings. And my feelings were hurt. And December of 2007 I found myself going very very part-time to Sinclair Community College barely keeping enough college credits to stay on my parents health insurance because that was a reality back then that if you weren't a full-time student you had to get your own health insurance and so I was pretty worried about that and on December 31st my sister said hey why don't you join me in doing a Daniel fast and I said what's that and she said basically you eat fruits and vegetables and you and you pray you know, for some period of time heading into the new year. And I'm, you know, up enough for a challenge that I was like, yeah, I could do that. And so I started the Daniel Fast. And in those days of prayer and fasting and taking out all the delicious food that I like in my life and using that time to pray and seek guidance and try to get direction from God, I realized I'm not headed in the right direction because Sinclair Community College is great of a school as it is, it's not going to prepare me for ministry, which is what I felt was the call of my life since I was 16 years old. And I was about to bail on that calling. And so I ended up taking a, a visit to Asbury um, College at the time. I went down there. I was there from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. Fell in love with the school. Suffice it to say, it wasn't the classes that I loved about the school. Um, It was the community there, the people there. But I went to, I I ended up just putting in my application, going to Asbury. Around the same time, as luck would have it, (laughs) as providence would have it, Emily was getting out of a long-term, tough relationship. And in January of 2008, she started the year praying and seeking guidance for what her future would hold and she was at a school called Asbury College by July of 2008 we're both out of our old relationships and we're starting starting to notice each other again so it only took from 8th grade to before my junior year of college for Emily to be like that guy I might give him a shot no big deal play the long game gentlemen it works sometimes uh (laughs) By July of 2008, we are dating. and We spend the rest of our college years talking about what a life in ministry looks like together, what God was leading us both to, and it looked like, it seemed like, it felt like God was leading us both in the same direction, that we were willing to serve one another. I knew that Emily was, was the one for me when Ephesians 5 came to life. When Ephesians 5 started to make sense, because it was when I considered loving Emily well, that that passage didn't seem so much about one person being the boss over the other person. And it seemed more like to love well, you have to serve well. And you better lay down your selfishness, Adam, to serve your future wife. And I was like, Dad, she's the she's the one I'm willing to serve for the rest of my life. And I'm still growing in that. I'm still getting better at that. But when that passage came to life, that that's when it started to... to to bubble up for me. It was in that season of prayer and seeking guidance that 2 Corinthians 5 became a life um, verse, a life passage for me, especially verses 20 and 21, which if you're not familiar with it, it says this, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God because God made him who had no sin for us for, for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in him we might become the righteousness of God as Emily and I started our relationship and we knew that ministry was going to be the direction a ministry of reconciliation seemed to be the thing that was calling us forward that we could remind people together We could probably remind people better than we could if we were apart. Together we could remind people that there's nothing, nothing that you've done that's going to disqualify you from the future that God has for you. He made his own son to be sin on our behalf so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Our relationship tells that story because we had brokenness. And then we found future in christ and now together we can tell this story of god's grace and we can tell it over and over and over again my finding emily in the right time of my life is a lot like a couple of weeks ago i was playing in the snow uh with cohen you know wrestling around tackling each other whatever and then fast forward a couple hours i need to go get the mail and we got a mail key and i can't find my keys and I'm like, oh oh boy, where are my keys? So I turned everything inside out. I'm looking feverishly for the keys everywhere that I could possibly find. I turned everything in the car upside down. I looked in my closet. I looked and I emptied a, drunk, a junk drawer. I literally cleaned out a junk drawer because I was like, maybe it fell out of my hands into the junk drawer and it went back there. I don't know. And then a day later after it had snowed some more and every, 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 everything had, you know, frozen over properly again, Emily said, were your keys in your pocket when you were out there playing with Cohen? It was a sinking feeling. Yeah, I think so. And so the game that Cohen and I played that day in the snow was, let's kick up the snow in the yard, <laughs> see if we can find some keys. We didn't find the keys until the snow melted. I had to just wait for the snow to melt. Once the snow melted, I walked out there and I found the keys. And in that season of prayer and, and, and seeking God's guidance, there was nothing else I could do except for just wait. <laughs> wait for Emily to be ready, wait for me to be ready, wait for the right things to happen, wait for me to end up going to a different school. And then as I was going, as I was pursuing Jesus, I found the right one. But it was after I started pursuing God, after I really said, God, guide my life. I want to be with somebody, but if I'm not with somebody, I'm going to be okay just living my whole life pursuing you. Because I'm valuable because you've said so. And if somebody does come into my life, I, hope, I want them to, they have to be ready to join me as I'm pursuing this future with God, with Jesus. I have to be okay with that because that's what my whole life is about and my best friend in life now. I'm the most important person in my life now. The person that I love most in this world now is because I made that direction decision first and Emily made that direction decision first and we found each other. Because the other thing that, that we have to remember is that we have this promise given to us. Jesus brings a full... Life. Jesus brings a full life. And so if you're in a relationship today and it feels less than full, not tough, not tough. Every relationship is difficult. But if you're in a dating relationship and it feels hard (laughs) and it feels like it is just sucking your life away and it feels like it's taking you away from what God has for you, Maybe you need to reprioritize within that relationship or maybe you need to figure out what the future of that relationship is. Because John 10.10 says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And this is Jesus talking. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full and have it in abundance, as the CSB says. I have come that they would have life and have it in abundance. That's what my life has been with Emily, but life in abundance has also meant tears. It's also meant us looking across the table from one another, saying I'm sorry for things that are in my past. I'm sorry for some of the baggage that I bring in to this relationship. I'm sorry for not listening closer when you tell me which way to put the toilet paper on the roll. I'm sorry it's been that, but it's also been celebration. It's also been all of these things because Jesus promises a a full life. So the thing that we should all leave here knowing today is that we have to set Jesus as the destination and then maybe somebody will come in your life that you can walk towards that destination with. But the lie that gets whispered to us is you're not enough. You're not enough to set out to get Jesus without somebody else that's going to support you and pray for you. You're not enough unless you're somebody's wife someday. You're not enough unless you're somebody's husband someday. That's a good lie because it's partly true. We're not enough in and of ourselves. But Jesus came to give life and give life in abundance. And with Jesus in my life, I have everything I need to live a full-color life in a grayscale world. I am not enough, but Jesus is enough, and he is at work in my life. And so don't believe that you're less than because you don't have something that that culture says that you should have. We have Jesus pulling us forward. We have the full life that he has to offer us. We can move forward from this place. And so if you're setting out to, to date well, to live well, to be engaged well, to be married well, to have to grandparent well, to grow old well. Set a course and a destination that has life and has life in abundance. And the details will fill in behind that. But if you put the parts before the whole, it's just going to feel incomplete always. And so as as we close today, I want to go back to the 2 Corinthians Uh, Chapter five, verses twenty and twenty-one. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God is making His appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, because He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. We're getting ready to to take communion. And in this time, I would encourage you to be honest with God. If you're single in here and that makes you uncomfortable, tell God that. (laughs) He knows anyway. If you're dating and you have been less than and you haven't put God in front, tell God that. If you're married and you haven't been dating your spouse well and you haven't been leading towards a direction of fulfillment in Christ, tell God that. Because God became man, the same God who spoke creation into existence, who imprinted his image on us, became one of the things that he created, and he lived a perfect life, and he set a perfect example, and oh, by the way, he never married. You can't tell me that Jesus didn't have a complete life. He lived his whole life serving other people. He lived a perfect life, set an example. And then he was wrongly persecuted. He was beaten. He was hung on a cross. He died the death that we deserve. He went into the grave and he was dead for three days. And on the third day, he rose from the grave to give us life and give us life in abundance. And so don't leave here thinking that you have to be in a relationship to be complete. That you have to be in a romantic relationship to be complete. Or that, or don't leave here putting on your spouse or your significant other the pressure to complete you. Jesus is the one who's going to bring you fullness and abundant life. And so each week we take the, the bread and the juice. We take the bread which represents the broken body and we remember, I can have life because of your death. Every week, we take the juice, which represents the bloodshed, and we remember, because of your death, I can have life. Let's reorient ourselves today. And if you've never decided to put Jesus as the Lord,